What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the LWE Podcast. LWE Lee Collins here. Uh, been a while, been a hot minute, but looking to try to get back on track as the summertime approaches, getting a chance to sit down and have some new conversations on some topics and some things of interest and things that I like and, and, and maybe some things that you like as well. But uh, this podcast is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a little bit of a, a take a trip in a time machine uh, for, for me and my guest who's joining me, who's been on the podcast with me before, my man, Mr. Chris Trainer. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this first day of June in 2023, man. Uh, looking forward to this conversation, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you all the time for having me, uh, you know, uh, different times on the radio station and on your podcast. We've always had good conversations, uh, you know, whether it be uh, the sports or entertainment. And, and our conversation today is centered around entertainment. More specifically, you are, are, are one of the guys like myself who, who's been a big, big follower and contributed to uh movie box offices for the movies and local theaters and cinemas around the state of South Carolina and all points in between wherever we could, we could see one. And um, yep. it's kind of an interesting summer because it's a very packed summer of summer movies. And when you talk about summers and summers that had movies lined up from start to finish, you can't help but go back. We're old enough to remember the summer of 1989, which going into that summer, was going to be billed and as as billed was the was the biggest summer blockbuster year of all time. It was filled with a lot of sequels. There were some original movies, but there's one movie that we're going to focus on here, and we're going to kind of talk about it a little bit in a lot of different ways. But there's this little movie called Batman, uh, just a little superhero, this little nobody of a superhero that absolutely had no attention from anyone. Um, finds its way to come to be made and was going to be released in June 23rd of 1989 and man for a kid who was a comic book kid who grew up with the super friends who grew up watching the syndicated series of the Batman TV show um, who grew up a fan of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies even though the last two kind of dipped a little bit in their quality this was like like this was everything to me. Like I, I could not wait for school to be over with because that was that much closer to this Batman movie. But I first I want I want to go back to where you were in your mindset when you heard about it, this Batman movie coming out in summer '89. Because what were your thoughts back then? If you can take that trip back with me. Yeah. Well, gosh, you you <laughs> several things. Yeah. You 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 left me several things there to uh to go into, but. Uh, First of all, yeah, let's set the scene for the summer of 89. Uh, you know, oh, well, blockbuster filmmaking as we knew it began in 75 with Jaws, of course. Yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg. Uh, and then the late 70s, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Star Wars came along, um, of course. And in the early 80s, uh, you know, The Empire Strikes Back and then the Indiana Jones films. Uh, really kind of solidified that first moment uh, after Jaws and, and kind of pushed things along. Um, then we come up through, you know, uh, Ghostbusters and a number of things in the mid-80s. And so really by the time 89 came along, uh, this sort of blockbuster filmmaking that Steven Spielberg had 
introduced to us in the previous decade had become perfected. Um, not just the filmmaking itself, but the marketing that surrounded it. Um, and, uh, a lot of the special effects. And I mean, by 89, they knew how to do it. Uh, and that was a mighty summer, uh, of course, with, uh, Indiana Jones and the last crusade. It was ghostbusters two. Uh, I believe honey, I shrunk the kids came out in 89. Uh, and, uh, so it was just a really, um, special summer for a lot of movies people still fondly remember and still watch and they're still family classics but um batman was a whole other animal it's um it was unthinkable to people now uh because superhero films so dominate the the popcorn movie landscape but um in 89 there there wasn't anything like what we ended up seeing with batman you mentioned uh the superman movies that started with richard donner's original christopher reeve uh, director richard donner's original uh and christopher reeve uh playing superman the definitive superman still on screen um and let me pause here to say you put a little bit of uh uh shade on parts three and four but uh put some respect on part three's name uh I still enjoy it, uh, and rest in peace to Richard Pryor, the great Richard Pryor, uh, who brought us all a lot of laughs for a lot of years. But Batman 89, I mean, I don't know if words can even explain how uh, unusual this movie was. Uh, not only was it a Batman film, but it was a dark take on Batman. Um, Tim Burton directed it. It's an exceedingly weird film. Um, uh, and you know, Batman, of course, in the comic books, Batman was always kind of this gritty crime fighter detective, you know, billionaire, billionaire slash, you know, uh, undercover detective. Uh, but what we had seen in pop culture up till then with Adam West TV show and uh, and that whole vibe, Batman was like a lighthearted thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was that was what it was. Batman and Rock. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was it was lighthearted, and that's okay. And uh, yeah, there's there, there's room for that. But uh, when '89 came along, and you had Michael Keaton uh, playing Batman, and of course Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Jack Nicholson actually had top billing in that movie. He was the, he was the highest paid actor, and hadn't got when you looked at the poster, it said Nicholson first, <laughs> then yeah. Keaton uh, Batman. So uh, and Jack Nicholson, you know, he's he's retired now, but I mean, we're talking about a heavyweight actor. Um, you know, Oscar winner. And um, so this was bringing, I mean, th- this was bringing superhero films into a whole other realm with a director like Tim Burton and an actor like Jack Nicholson. And so uh, even as just a, a youngster then, I mean, um, I was, gosh, I guess I was 11 that summer. Um, even then I knew, well, this is different. This is special. Um, and, and, and Warner Brothers, you know, made sure to uh <laughs> make sure we all knew it yeah well that's that like i said there's several aspects about this movie around this movie that i really want to kind of hit because there were a lot of working parts to this uh the spokes to the wheel so to speak because um number one let's let's mention this for warner brothers at the time this was a tremendous gamble because of two reasons number one originally the movie had a 30 million dollar budget which actually ballooned up to $48 million because they eventually moved it to Pinecrest Studios in England to yep. kind of do the filming and the, and the set production and everything, which in and of itself was the one of the, the main highlights of the movie. 
Um, but also because they were you, they were they keep in mind now, folks. This is they were shooting on sets. <laughs> they were shooting re- real things. You're right, right, practical. You know, this wasn't stand in front of a green screen and we'll com- we'll create a digital world around you. They were, you know, they were using matte paintings and models and building cities. You know, <laughs> so yeah. it's different. It was it was very unique, and not only was the budget ginormous by 1989 standards. Today, you think, well, 48 million walking apart, but by those standards in that time frame, it was a huge gamble. And then the other gamble was a guy by the name of Tim Burton, because up to that point, he had done, I believe, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which was a, a, a modest hit. Beetlejuice was a, a really strong effort that introduced, you know, kind of really got Michael Keaton put out there too um, a little yeah. bit or even though he had already been established but that was where their connection came in um, so this was going to be his first really true big budget movie not to mention it was a superhero movie not to mention that it was the first big on screen movie appearance for this character because people don't for, uh, little some t- little things that people rem- don't forget about sometimes is the original Batman TV series actually did a movie that yeah. was in '66, I think. Yeah, and it was like you know, I think it did like four or five million dollars by 1966 standards. But you know, it was it wasn't nothing. I mean, it had a TV show. It was a TV show made for a TV movie. Basically, they did the movie to help with the TV show and everything. But that's another story. Yeah. Today. Um, but for Batman, this was it. This was the first true introduction so so not only was there a gamble with the budget there was a gamble with tim burton there was also a gamble in the tone because like you said batman was considered more or less a light-hearted superhero even though there were various periods of the comic book where it was more darker he was a detective there was there was a there was a lot of risque stuff in there um at around this time there had been a couple of comic books that had come out one by frank miller which was the dark knight returns and a sure. novel that came out which those two yeah. actually became where tim burton kind of got a lot of his inspiration from from the tone he said he was not a comic book but he read those two comics initially and that's what kind of guided him toward the tone so movie theaters really were a little trepid about <laughs> it was going to be a dark tone, which they thought, well, this is going to scare away kids. This is going to scare away maybe the family unit coming. And what was lost in the communication to this day, in my opinion, and I mean, you've seen just as much movies and movie marketing stuff. I don't know if I've ever seen the marketing extent that this movie ended up creating because this movie, Sink or Swim, had already racked up millions of dollars in merchandising because they started merchandising this movie well early in the winter, all the way up to the leading of the release date. And I mean, when we were in school, t-shirt, you know, it's kind of this, you had a Batman t-shirt or new kids on the block and you're only cool if you had Batman t-shirt, right? So you had to get a Batman and, t-shirt. And, and Simpsons, uh, and Simpsons, and, don't forget it. Yeah. And, and it was like, but you know, you you race to get a a Batman T-shirt. There was Batman merchandise everywhere. Obviously, it put a boost in the comic book sales. But they really, they really, the marketing on this film, I think, it was tremendous because, I mean, you remember the the poster was just that Batman symbol, like you said, it had it had Nicholson, it had Keaton on the top of it, Batman symbol. 
concussion atlas on subways in the heart of Hollywood and all the major cities, New York on Broadway, that symbol, June 89, that was, that was what drove people out uh, to the theaters to see it. So all of those gambles that I just talked about uh, before the movie even comes to release. And um, I think that was one of the things that really helped drive the, the excitement for this movie. I mean, I was, like I said, I was going to Walden Books in Cross Creek Mall to buy the Comic Scenes magazine, the Starlog magazine. Any magazine that came yeah. out the Batman story, I got it. I wanted to know every again, people listening to this. This is pre this is really this is pre-internet. So you know, magazines, periodicals, whatever you could find, yeah. People, Specials, you you were glued to whatever information you could get, and I don't know if that was kind of where you felt along the lines of that too. How the marketing and merchandising kind of pulled you or added to your already excitement for this movie? Yeah, uh, wow. Um, well, a couple couple things about all of that. Um, yeah, I guess in 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 line in hindsight, Tim Burton was a. Uh, a different choice, but even some of the things you named there, I mean, uh, gosh, I mean, Pee Wee's big adventure was a great movie and, and, uh, Beetlejuice as well. They're making another one of those, by the way. Um, you know, he was the right guy, but, uh, you know, he wasn't Steven Spielberg either. So, you know, um, I, I get any trepidation that might be there as far as the marketing goes. Uh, the only, uh, I mean, to me, the number one marketing blitz of all time for a film was in 99 for, uh, it'll be a decade later, uh, than Batman was in 99 for, uh, Star Wars episode one, yeah. uh, just a complete absolute carpet bombing of a, I mean, just, uh, it went to levels that have never been seen again, uh, for a film and it worked. I mean, that movie made, you know, uh, yeah. almost $700 million, but, uh, Batman up until that point, yes, you're right. And not only that, not only was it a blitz, but it was so perfect in its teasing. You know, it uh, they didn't give a lot away. We knew this film was going to be kind of mean. I mean, you mentioned. I mean, I can remember the the talks, and they, they continued into Batman Returns, the second film, which is another podcast for another day. Uh, 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 a really interesting film in its own right, but it was this talk about, is it too dark? Is it too violent? Uh, and what about the kids? Heck, I mean, that, that, that made us want to see it more, you know? I mean, um, you know, there's a reason, there's a reason that uh, that time period was so rich with, I don't know, horror films and, you know, Freddy Krueger's this icon and uh, not certainly that Batman went to those links, but you know, we liked dangerous films back then and um, uh, films that had a little grime on them, even if they were, even if they were Hollywood films. And so they did a good job of, of pointing out, Hey, this is a little dangerous, but you know, you can come see it. And um, that sleek, you know, uh, you mentioned the poster, the bat symbol, and it was just very simple. Like you say, uh, uh, Gosh, it was brilliant marketing. I mean, all it was was you know a few clips and 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 this black and yellow symbol, um, which looked totally different than any other bat symbol up until then. And um, 
yeah, and as far as, I mean, it's almost um, unfathomable to think for any young listeners or even even reasonably young listeners uh, who may be tuning in. I mean, how you learned about a movie uh, beyond seeing trailers and TV commercials is you went and got a magazine like Starlog or Fangoria or uh or or even you just read your newspaper you know i mean back then newspapers were thick uh uh, and because there was no internet so that's where you got your news and they all had art sections or big lifestyle sections and you know on the weekends there would be these long-form features about movies that were coming out or had been out or what was doing what at the box office and so yeah we were gleaning any little thing we could about this uh again um Hey, I remember groundbreaking, groundbreaking superhero movie. I mean, you know, I remember going and getting a copy of a USA Today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The write up they had on Batman because USA Today, you know, was such a huge. Like you talk about thick paper, loaded paper with a lot of stuff back in the day. And, yep. And they, you know, you had to go to certain places to get it. But I remember that I wanted that copy. Uh, of this big Batman write-up, and I remember people even trying to figure out where the when the trailer was going to be shown because I remember there were people that went to certain movies just to see the trailer for Batman. Yep, no, absolutely. <laughs> that, that was that was another thing. You you definitely did that. And I I, I mentioned, uh, you know, well, gosh, when the Star Wars prequels came out, I mean, we were doing that again. This is before the, I mean, even after the internet came on, there wasn't like readily available streaming on it for you you can just stream a movie trailer you had to go see you know movie trailers played in front of movies you know and that's where you saw them and uh you know i remember gosh i mean you mentioned it came out on june the 23rd 1989 uh the night before now i was not fortunate enough to attend that i saw it that weekend in anderson south carolina but the night before june 22nd uh 89 I guess at midnight was the uh, premiere, you know, the, the, the uh, sneak previews for it. Yeah. And nowadays as you, as you know, you know, if a movie comes out like this weekend, uh, as we're speaking here, there's a new Spider-Man coming out and June 2nd is the release date. Well, nowadays they just release it the day before, you know, June, June 1st is, is the actual release date for, for Spider-Man and you can go see it, you know, uh, at four o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, it's, but back then, man, every movie didn't get a day before special preview release. No. You went at midnight. And so, like, I remember kids who went, kids, adults, whoever went, they got a T-shirt <laughs> that yeah. said, I was there. I don't yeah. remember that T-shirt. The following summer, that Dick, uh, a very similar movie, Dick Tracy, uh, came out, which, again, is another podcast for another day. But uh, they also had a, that midnight, the night before release, with a Dick Tracy shirt that said, I was there. Um uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it was a marketing behemoth and, and a really good film, uh, by the way, but, uh, yeah. And it, I mean, if, 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 if they had it on a re-release in the theater, I would go watch it again. I think it's, I think it does hold up. And again, we can talk about it a little bit, but I, I just think it, it does hold up because again, this is pre CGI, heavy CGI. This is practical effects still being, the 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 primary backbone of of these action movies these big set pieces and stuff and yeah everything from the design of the all black costume to the batmobile design which was 
Oh, and it was just such a cool visual thing. When you saw the trailer and the machine gun bullets go into the outline of the warehouse and the Batmobile comes crashing through. And, and I mean, that just like, that just like fired me up. And then, and you talk about, <clears throat> you know, we talked about the fact of having Michael Keaton in here and Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson in the sense, because <clears throat> there's a lot of discussion over this movie over the years that, you know, this was, this was maybe, maybe more of a Joker movie than it was a Batman movie. But I will say this for Michael Keaton, you got to remember in this time, Michael Keaton was pretty much known for his comedy. He comedic done, actor. Yeah. He done Mr. Mom. We talked about, he done, um, you know, Beetlejuice. Actually a movie that came out the same year earlier, which I love still to this day is a movie called the dream team that he did yep. with Chris Lloyd. Uh, and a couple of other guys that was really funny, funny movie. Um, but he was at, there were a lot of A-listers that were coming through the ranks that were being talked about for this movie. And, and just kind of to pause it and take a step back, the movie itself had been in several rewrites and revisions from, I believe, around 1983 or so up to this point. So for about a six-year period, I think uh, John Peters was attached to it early on, who stayed with it through even when Tim Burton got into it. Yeah. Um, but it went through a lot of there was a there was going to be the the campy version, then it was dark, dark, and then it was we're going to do this, and are we going to do Robin? Who's going to play Robin? And then it there was a lot of stuff for six years leading up to it. But getting back to Michael Keaton, you know that was huge controversy. Uh, Pre-internet again, you know where the rave and the rants of anything and everybody who's cast for any movie nowadays back then there was this big deal about 50,000 letters <laughs> sent to the yeah. Warner Brothers studios yep. uh, demanding Michael Keaton not be cast um and you know man he just I mean it just there was something about him no he wasn't six foot six um but there was something about the way he his presence and that I mean look you get in that costume it can go one or two ways for it, it could be really cheesy yeah. <laughs> you can yeah you can really make it different and he did I mean the very first sequence that we see him in costume and that whole exchange and when he holds that crook over the <laughs> edge of the of the building and you see the feet dangling he's like what are you and he's like I'm Batman I'm like yes you are <laughs> I mean, yes you are no doubt <laughs> and so that was what um, and, you know, even as a kid, I wasn't into all of the the controversial discussions of who should play what. I was just like, I just want to see Batman on the big screen. And then Jack Nicholson, on the other hand, not really a lot of talk about this, but I didn't realize this as I was doing some research. You know, there were some there were some guys that were being picked out on who was going to be this Joker. And I know that um, I read what someplace that Robin Williams really pitched hard to get that role and he, and, and my mind could just go a thousand places thinking of what robin williams would have done with a, a role called of the joker but um he would have been great if you asked me he, he'd, have been, he'd have been amazing if you asked me uh oh uh, no doubt and yeah so i think that's where the brilliance of nicholson comes in because he was he was every bit jack nicholson in the movie but when it when it came time when that transformation into the joker came he turned it up and he did. He, he stole a lot of scenes in that movie and he became a big, big part of, of the success of, of why people still talk about that movie because that character, again, going back, it only had really had one 
incarnation on TV, and that was with the great Cesar Romero, who his yep. character in that TV show was awesome. But this was the true Joker. This was the homicidal, you know, <laughs> the 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 gangster turned rogue. This is this was the guy who was just who was just you feared this guy. Um, and then the other thing, Chris, and I'll get your take on Keaton and Nicholson. The brilliance of Jack Nicholson. He knew the movie was going to be a success. I remember watching a behind-the-scenes documentary, and he talked about how even at the Oscars, he was on the ground promoting the movie and telling everybody, you're not ready for how successful this movie is going to be. So much so that he was supposed to get $10 million to play the part of the Joker, but his, mm-hmm, yep. his, 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 his salary went down to $6 million, but he negotiated – uh, like you said, to have the top a back, a, a back end deal, and he got merchandising, and he got a reciprocal. I think they said somewhere between fifty to sixty million dollars is what he ended, ended up making off that movie total. I've heard, I've heard, uh, I've heard Gus up to seventy five million. Yeah, uh, I mean he's still making money off off Batman now. Um, so yeah, I mean, say, I mean, you know, he's Jack. Um, yeah. But he, I mean, what the, more? What? He, he was sold on the movie. He was sold on Burton. He was all in, and that was huge, I think, for the credibility of the movie too. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, you kind of said it all. I mean, first of all, again, it's um, you're right. Michael Keaton was known more of a, as more of a comedic actor up until that point. Uh, you would never know that watching the movie. He had a lot of gravitas in the movie, and you also wouldn't know it you know, from his subsequent career. I mean, he was amazing a couple of years ago in um the oscar winning spotlight uh <clears throat> we played a boston globe editor he was in a great movie called the paper which i love he was what an oscar nominee uh for birdman he i mean michael keaton's now uh, a very serious actor but you know then it was like was he you know what's he gonna be but I, I, as a kid i never bought into that i, I like michael keaton i thought he was a good batman and you know, what more can be said about Jack? I mean, but let's also add that this movie had a great cast. Jack Palance was in this movie, uh, and he's amazing. And Kim Basinger uh, is uh, great in this film as a photojournalist and, a, and, and femme fatale, Vicky Vale. Um, and she was hot property at that time as well herself. And then um, you know, Robert Wool has a um has a great uh, comedy relief bit uh, you know if you will as reporter Knox uh, in the film of course Robert Wool would go on to TV stardom uh, afterwards uh, always a reliable face to see in, in, in on screen and um you know part of what part of what I guess DC films did then and I know Batman 89 and Superman that came before that were, were not the same tonally but what they did understand, and a lot of your, is that it what happens when the main character is, is out of the suit is just as important as, yep. you know. And so Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent—that's what made Superman. He was right. he was amazing as Clark Kent, and Keaton was was you believed him as Bruce Wayne, yep. you know, this sort of quirky, eccentric billionaire. Uh, you know, some of the most memorable little bits of the film are when he's been, you know, just been doing Bruce Wayne things, you know, uh, having dinner with Vicki Vale and they're at this long table and he has to get up and take the salt, you know, 50 yards down to the other end of the table to her. And um, just he was he was he was great as uh, 
as Bruce Wayne, you know, as well as Batman. Of course, he reprised that role uh, in Batman Returns, which is a film I love. It's really dark, but I love it. And of course, um, I don't know if you were going to get into this any, but of course, Michael Keaton's going to return as Batman this summer uh, in a few weeks, just as a matter of fact. Um, on June 16th, I believe is the date uh, in the flash, which they're market. They're basically, they're basically marketing the new flash is like, Hey, it's the flash, but really it's Batman (laughs) and Michael Michael Keaton's back in in the role. Yeah. It's the bookend Batman move because we, we didn't really get a true Michael Keaton finish to the trilogy uh, in the sense because of what the franchise went. But yeah, I think this, this is what led me to have this podcast was because of Michael Keaton as Batman is going to be a, the big talk of that movie and of the summer and just the full circle moment for that. Just to hear that music, those lot, those chords of the music, which we're going to get into the music in a minute, but just to see him, to hear him in the costume, to see him in costume. Um, but yeah, it's uh, again, the, the, the movie itself really visually uh, the set designs, uh, you know, it was kind of, um, you know, it was kind of a throwback to the old style gangster movies, even though it sure. was a modern day setting. Very much, very much reminiscent of, uh, I don't mean to step on you, very much reminiscent of, it was a movie made in 89 and it was set in 89, but it could have been set in the 1940s. I mean, it really, it really, really owed a lot to that, uh, visual landscape of the films of the late 1930s and 1940s. Well, the movie itself, again, um, it, it, it came out, obviously it was a number one movie, um, and, and as, as, as is the case with a lot of summer movies, it's not going to be some number one long because you have so much competition. Uh, Lethal Weapon 2 comes out two weeks later and takes the number one movie, but it goes on to make $411 million, and at the time, again, this is 1989 money, this is 1989 time frame. Yeah. Uh, there, there was no bigger hit in the in the year of 1989 from a from a marketing standpoint, from a money standpoint, from everything that, I mean, this movie delivered so many ways for all the things that it had, um, and that it would still carry over into the 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 last part to the, so much to the point because I want to get like I said I want to get to the music part in just a minute. Well, it, it played all the way to Thanksgiving. I mean, it played strong all the way to Thanksgiving almost. I think it was. Mid-November before it dropped all the way off. Well, and that's the thing I was going to get to. It did something that was at the time a little bit of another risk in a sense, but it was genius because within six months it was put to VHS, which back then a movie, it, it may have been a year before a movie came out on VHS after it was released in the theater. I mean, it Bro, was eight E.T. 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 E. Check me on this, but I'm almost certain of it. The movie E.T., which was obviously a monster, it didn't come out on VHS for six years. Yes. They, they kept <laughs> re-showing it. And- yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's, yeah, it could easily be a year or longer. I mean, your big monster hits, it would be years before they'd hit VHS back in the 80s. And and so they, they released the VHS in November, right before Christmas. And that was, and that was like, I was like, I gotta have the VHS. Like, Daddy's like, I'm gonna get it for you for Christmas. No, I need the VHS. I gotta have. The I mean, you again, yeah. like having a T-shirt. If you didn't have your hands on the VHS, you were not cool. You were not popular. You were not accepted by the status quo. You had to have that movie. That movie was was everything. And then they had it on grocery stores. They had it at the movie stores at the time. Um, and again, uh, it was it was such a big deal. 
The other part about this movie that I want to talk to you about, because this is another part that's near and dear to my heart, and that's the music and what the music part of the movie lent itself to and what it went on to do. And it's and it's a yeah. twofold part because yeah, I know where you're going with it. Obviously, with the score, we, we know of the great scores movies obviously you, you think of action movies the first thing you think of is john williams and you think of how john williams was you know connected to the hip with steven spielberg with george lucas the the movies the scores the soundtracks that he did unprecedented i mean they were the they were the cream de la cream they were the bar raisers and so much like tim burton who was thought of as making a little bit of a risk danny elfman was a guy who again came along alongside of Tim Burton in this process as a conductor for the score of Pee Wee's Big Adventure for Beetlejuice. It had yep. that haunting, very organic kind of sound. Uh, I call it kind of like the theme park kind of sound a little bit to it, to those movies in particular. Um, so again, he was, he was maybe a little bit not, I don't think he was well received early on before he was hired, but he sold everybody when he released March music, which we come to know now as the true Batman theme of that movie. And and really yeah. for me, it is the Batman theme of all themes. I mean, it's just it's it's right up there with the Superman March. I mean, you hear that da 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 da. I mean, your your ears perk up. Like <laughs> you just you just you get goosebumps. It goes back to that title taking the taking the trip around the bat symbol and you seeing the credits yep. and and that's when you're introduced to that theme and it's like it was epic. It was big. And that's what his, that was what his score was for this movie and the franchise later. It would go into the animated series, which was hugely popular. And, you know, Elfman went on to, to kind of carve his own niche and became a, a, a giant composer in the world of the big movies too. Yeah. Well, okay. A lot, there's a lot there. <laughs> First of all, yeah, you're right. I mean, um, at the time he was still coming along, uh, you know, John Williams was the standard bearer and, um, and gosh, even at 90 years old, he still is, by the way, in July, my family and I, uh, you know, this, this conversation might all be esoteric for our listeners, but I know you and I are in the movie scores, but in July, my wife and family and I were going out to Los Angeles to see John Williams conduct the LA Philharmonic. He's going to do all his, he's going to do all his, uh, uh, his movie hits at the Hollywood Bowl. So that's our family vacation this summer. So that's the kind of people you're listening to here, folks. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah. Okay. So Elfman, and let's step aside one more time and say Elfman had a 89 was a hell of a year for Elfman. Uh, he also did the Simpsons theme. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> so 89 was kind of a bellwether year for him. I mean, um, but yeah, that score was uh dark, and amazing and as you said instantly recognizable uh, now i would argue he didn't do them but the scores for uh later for uh batman forever and batman and robin which changed up they were still pretty strong even though those movies were on a little bit of shaky ground but um no elfman's themes in batman and batman returns uh were incredible um you know it, the use of horns the use of percussion um and just, you know, it, you still see see it some now, but back then, the scores of the films were so tied into them. You know, I yeah. mean, I can name some examples today. Uh, 
you know, certainly the Avengers, certainly Avatar. I mean, there's some franchises out there that have that, have a, a strong theme that ties in, but not really in the way that's, you know, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, um, certainly Danny Elfman's Batman score. Ah, uh, gosh, Alan Silvestri's Back to the Future score, where just okay. if you hear those little those little tinkling bells, yep. just you hear you hear those for just a moment, uh, for a second, and you know exactly what you're hearing, uh, you know. Uh, and so, uh, gosh, Jerry Goldsmith too. Well, um, I mean, you look at Hans Zimmer was kind of you could you could say he was kind of a he was kind of the morphed up yeah. Elfman because he kind of took everything in that style and kind of even added more layers to it, you know, as it would go on with his career too. So. Yeah. The, 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 the similarity between Zimmer and Elfman is they both, they're, they're, is they're bombastic scores. Uh, they're, they're, um, you're right. They're, they're not, uh, they don't, and that's okay. They, but they're not as subtle. Yeah. As John Williams can be at times, you know, not as playful as he can be at times. There, you know, uh, they grab you by the lapels, if you will. Um, um, so yeah, that was Elfman, and of course later on he he scored Men in Black, and that was, uh, you know, <laughs> that was a whole, a whole other kettle of fish. Again, we could do another podcast about the about Will Smith movies that were hits, but. Um, you know, and also with Batman, I don't know if you, I don't know if you were going to mention this. I mean, forgive me if you weren't, but uh, don't forget now the score was amazing, but they also had Prince. Yep. I was cut. That. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, you know, and, and you talk about, uh, I mean, we talk about the prestige of, and first of all, this doesn't happen. One artist, not a, not a compendium of artists on the soundtrack, but one artist. Um, and, and someone who at the time and heck, even for years on, even now after his death, kind of the artist (laughs) in in terms of being a pop star, an enigma, a mystery himself, uh, to have Prince do the score. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the, the soundtrack, um, which was a platinum selling album. (laughs) It was, it was unheard of. Well, it was. It ended up. I think it ended up going do- double platinum. I think as far as U.S. goes, and and again, oh sure, was, yeah, yeah, that was another brilliant thing because you, don't forget. Uh, I know you remember that was on the uh, local radio yeah. dials seven point three. Um, Bat Dance, yeah. the first single, which was a, it was kind of a. And the video was awesome, I think. Oh yeah, he took he took he took the. The 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 lightheartedness of the the way the Batman sounded, what Batman was said back in the sixty TV show, he, he said yep. instead of Batman, he said Bat Dance, but it was in that tone. But it was yep. it mostly an instrumental track, and it had clips from yep. the movie mixed in with it. Um, it was very unique. But that thing got released, and it was instant number one. And I believe the actual Prince album when it first came out. Um, a couple of days before the movie release, I mean, it was a it was a huge sellout. I mean, people. I remember the music store in the mall sold out a couple times. Um, yeah, and it was same as and, and same as everything else. The yes. cover of the album was just the uh, was just the bat symbol. And I mean, of course, it said you know uh, at the bottom it said uh, music from Prince, you know, um, but largely it was just that black with that gold symbol. 
and and you didn't get i mean one of the best scenes in the movie is with one of the prince songs there were several of the songs that were incorporated into the actual movie and the party man song with jack nicholson romping through the museum as a joker yep. that's one of the highlight scenes of the whole movie <laughs> with that oh song. sure uh, and yeah, and at this point in the movie, you know, Jack is eating every Jack is literally eating every scene alive, um, you know, and then they crank up uh, they crank up Party Man by Prince. And yeah, I mean, it's one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. And, um, you know, I'm trying to even again, we I know we probably have a few listeners who we're you and I've got some more seasoning than, than they, these younger listeners, perhaps. I mean. This would be like if I don't even know who now Taylor Swift. Yeah, you know, I don't even know. I don't. I can't tell you how big Prince was. I mean, you know. I mean, there there are stars and then there's stars, right? And so you know, this wasn't. They didn't just pull you know Nickelback out of a out of a hat here. This was the guy, um, and to lock him in for a whole album. Again, Warner Brothers just went. <laughs> well, he was, uh, they did. They, they were all in on this film. Yeah, he too. So I mean, that was and, yeah. and again, kind of going by the the whole deal was was really being redefined here because you know let's let, you know as, as as mainstream pop successful as Prince was, Prince was also very um, very. Minded, geared. Some of the music wasn't. Yeah, he was a little bit. Oh no, 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 no! Absolutely no question. <laughs> and, and, and so maybe some people initially caught off guard, like Prince. Album, but I mean, if you if you go and you listen to the, I mean, it's it's a, it's a fun pop album. Um, and that that song being released as a mostly instrument. I mean, golly, mostly instrument was a number one song. That again, it just stoked up so much of the hype for the movie. And again, back in the 80s, there was an occasional time where a couple of maybe soundtrack deals. With... This was probably the yeah. first big one that had its own, like you said, singular artist soundtrack aside from the actual score. Because they used to take a couple of pieces of score and then put it on with the artist's yeah. popular. This is like two separate deals here, and I, you know, I think I think you could go. Um, obviously, this again transcends what the Batman soundtracks did. But you think of Titanic when they had the score for Titanic, and then they had Celine Dion, sure. who was red hot at the time, and James, kind of James Horner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was just two di- two different. In- the score may not have been a hot seller, but the 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 importance of Danny Elfman, Elfman's theme to the Batman legacy. Uh, and again, not disrespecting what they did in the Nolan movies with Hans Zimmer, it was it was a different, it was even more different than than what Elfman did. But that Elfman score just it's in that it's in like one of my top ten favorite all time movie themes. It's it's that impactful. And then you take Prince, uh, an artist like you said, the music video was was playing twenty four seven on MTV, and it just it just took it to another level. So again, go back to the marketing. This movie had everything you could ask for to be a hit, and all it all it needed was the movie to be successful, and the movie did, and the movie was good, and the movie went on, and and I you know I have hard arguments with a lot of these young bucks bucks today about the uh, <laughs> about the movie itself and how it stands up to the modern day stuff, but at the time again it's hard it's hard to get them back into our mindset as kids back then as they are yeah. kids 
now uh, because they're so spoiled by what they get to see now. Uh, sure. It just looks so effortless what they get. But uh, a lot of work that goes in with the digital stuff. Don't, t- don't get me wrong, but just the practical sense of it and the epic part that this movie was, again, being a first, another first. And it, it, it wouldn't really be until uh, the first Spider-Man movie, I think, comes out in 2002 where, you know, again, you see kind of some of that hype kind of build back up. But at the time, and, and really, in 1989, if you go back and look at the release date of movies from January to December of 89, now, I mean, that's that's a weekend getaway movie marathon that, I mean, you're talking about Little Mermaid, Christmas Vacation, Still Magnolias. I mean, uh, Driving Miss Daisy. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like, no. <laughs> I mean, they're movies that are still talked about to this to this day, you know, um, and you talked about in one like, way or another. And, and, and again, how cool is it that we have another summer where we have a Batman and Indiana Jones uh, co-billing? <laughs> yeah, it, it's specifically, specifically, you know, Michael Keaton donning the Batman suit uh, and, and in the same summer as a new Indiana Jones film, which uh, I'm singularly excited for to see Harrison Ford do that one more time. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, 80, 89 was a beast. Um, there have been some years like that through, you know, 80, 82 was one, 89 was one, 96 was one. Um Gosh, 99, as, as discussed earlier, Summer of the Phantom Menace, and uh, gosh, late that spring, The Matrix came out. So 90, 99 was a monster, but um, yeah, 89 was a lot of fun. I mean, I remember, even then, e- even then you knew it. Even then you knew it. Um, you know, uh, Ghostbusters 2 came out in 89 um, that same summer. I mean, these movies are just spaced out a few weeks apart. I mean, you mentioned Lethal Weapon 2. You know, a movie like Lethal Weapon 2 is still on TV every weekend. And, you know, that's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it came out that summer. Oh, um, the Kids was amazing big hit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and yeah, it's, um, God, when, what a great. The summer of um, Moranis. <laughs> yeah, the summer of Moranis and, and, and um, another film, I know you're not, we're not talking about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but another film which again practical effects <laughs> they built these amazing sets for these kids to play on to make it look like they were an inch tall or whatever um and uh, I, I remember seeing a documentary with how much fun those kids had being in that movie um but again mostly practical effects and um just a, just a different time that was that was you know they, they, there was lot there were live action movies for families to see uh that um I don't know. They were they were a warm embrace then and now. So did you uh, did you go multiple times or did you do a one shot as far as the theater going for that movie, Batman? Bat- I, I saw Batman twice. I saw it uh, opening weekend up in Anderson, South Carolina, and then back in uh, in Green Greenwood. Uh, you know, just a, just a week later. Or so I mean, okay. you know, um, I was a uh, you know when I was younger, I would. Uh, uh, you know, not so much anymore. Me and my daughter go to the movies all the time, as you know, as you do too. I mean, I'm I'm at the theater as often as I can be, but I don't see a lot of them twice in the theater anymore. Yeah. Um, but when, but I was a kid again because, as you stated, well, there's several reasons. One of which we didn't have access to all, all the media you do now. I mean, you know, movies were special, <laughs> you know, um, and you might not see 
after it left the theater, you might not see a movie for a year, two years, three years before it came out on VHS, you know? And so if you liked something, you went and saw it, you know? And so, gosh, I remember I saw Batman twice, but I can remember going to see things uh, three and four times if I liked them, you know? Um, well, I'll, but I'll, yeah, I'll never I saw Batman it. twice a year. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw it. I think I saw it three times. Yeah. Like you said, it played for a long time. And I think I, I end up going somewhere else to watch it the third time. But the first two times, obviously, were the times when it was at the uh, Cross Creek Mall and stuff. Um, but I remember standing in line with my dad and the line being out the door to get into the movie. And I remember we had um, he had went and got tickets in advance. Um, right. Which you did, which you didn't do then, by the way. But you didn't. You didn't. You, you, you didn't get on your phone and buy tickets a month in advance when touch of a button, you know. You, so back then, that was something for your dad to uh, to go and do that. He and, and that was that was the thing, man. And it just, uh, you know, like I said, uh, we 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 had a lot of movie going experiences that that summer, and and I think that one in the end, say those were probably my two favorites with him because. I mean, he, he, he loved the Indiana Jones movies, um, but I think he got a I got a movie too. I think he was a little he was a little nervous about it as far as the tone and stuff. But at the time too, it was like this was something new. This was a different portrayal of Batman that nobody had ever seen. So I think it was kind of like on the rewatch. I actually enjoyed it more the first time you watched the VHS version, <laughs> you know, just watching it back on a small screen think about man you know if, if if we were so blessed to have these you know i know there's there's still a lot of these that get released from now and then but uh, obviously with covid when the movie theaters were starting to open back up they were re-showing a lot of older movies but man just yeah. just have that movie on a big screen experience again man it, it would it would be fun it, i would love to take my daughter to see batman 89 on a big screen uh in this day and time to see how it would hold up for her um, you know, and see how she would enjoy it compared to what we've seen before. And again, knowing what we know about it and knowing how it's going to look, the look and feel is going to be a little bit different than the modern day stuff now. But um, it really was a tentpole, and especially for the fact that this was pre-Marvel. This Marvel still, I mean, Marvel was going to be, they were still a long way off before they got their, their ducks in a row. Uh, years. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Marvel was years away. I mean, Marvel really didn't start doing anything on a blockbuster scale until Spider-Man in what was that? Oh, two. Um, yeah. I think it was O two. Had the first X-Men movie too. Those were, those were the two. Well, big ones. yeah, pardon, pardon me. X-Men in 2000. You're correct. And I, and one, I always like to point out people forget it and they shouldn't forget yeah. it. Marvel put out blade in 98. Yeah. Um, and new, Marvel's working with new line cinema on, um, on blade. Uh, which was an R-rated film, but Blade was a Marvel character. He was uh, really a side character in Spider-Man comic books way back when. But for whatever reason, they did a movie about Blade, and it was had Wesley Snipes in it, and it was awesome. Um, and the second one especially was awesome. But I, I always like to give Blade its flowers because it it uh, it walked so that X-Men and Spider-Man could run, and now now it's yep. unthinkable. I mean, Marvel is... <laughs> I mean, it's like Coke or... Nike, you know, it's it's uh, just an unstoppable brand now. Um, but back then, no, I mean, there wasn't any Marvel movies. 
and obviously, you know, we talk about, you know, Michael Keaton and Batman and obviously the guys that have come on after since then with uh, Val Kilmer and then obviously George Clooney had to run one and done and had, um, you know, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale. Uh, then you had Ben Affleck, who I thought really did a really good job at the character as well with the Bruce Wayne and the Batman. And then uh, then Robert Pattinson, the last. The oh, last man. You and I. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, man. I love, I love Robert Pattinson as Batman. I gotta tell you, it's groundbreaking. It's, it's a movie. First time that they truly got the Batman story on film uh, that really told that side of Batman. Even though it was a, it was kind of like a year two yeah. Batman feel, but that part of it was really good. And and again, that movie, you, you could tell where it took a little bit of some of the influences of '89 with the visual aspects the way it was shot um, oh for sure and the tone of it too but uh yeah uh, such a rich character man batman such a legacy that he has is coming all kind of forms of media and entertainment uh but for me it, uh, the the flag bearer the the standard the the king of the mountain for me was always going to be batman 89 because that was the the lead up the anticipation buying all the magazines, buying the soundtracks. I believe that was the first Prince album I was actually allowed to buy. Uh, <laughs> it was like, yeah. uh, it was crazy. I mean, it just, and, and, and to end it out here, just to kind of put a nice bow on this conversation, um, you have a very distinct tradition that you have still connected with this movie. Uh, with, with I the did. Cards. Oh, with the cards? Is that what you with said? We we yeah, we forgot about the bubblegum cards, man. Well, yes, it's interesting you say that uh, because not too long ago I bought a box of Topps Batman cards um, and uh, opened half of them. They're from '89. They did two series in '89. They did one early in the summer and one later. And I bought uh, a box of Topps and opened about half of it, and uh, you know. Uh, enjoyed that. I've got cars strategically placed around the house and such. But then recently, my nephew Jack uh, was in town visiting. They were in town to go to a ball game with me, and I said, "Let's open." He's into cards now. Uh, kids are into kids are into cards again. And um, I said, "Well, I got something in here. Let's open the other half of this box." And I got out this Batman box, and we opened the back half of that uh, Tops '89 set uh, box of cards, and he. Uh, my nephew got a real kick out of that, and I, you know, he took a big stack home. And um, yeah, uh, absolutely, I collected the tops uh, back then. And then, like I said, just in recent years, I've gotten boxes of them as well. So um, the kitsch was real. I still have a, I have a a mint condition copy of the Batman magazine special edition that came out. In my collection. Um, I just a CG Starlog background backdoor. Um, I ordered that, and then I have actually a case of of the of the tops cards over the years, and uh, still to this day, man, I just uh, it, like I said, it is. It was it was a, it was really ahead of the time in a lot of ways. It really was a. Um, a step into a new direction when it comes to the genre of what a superhero movie could be, not what it was that we knew it was and would be, but it, it just kind of, it set a bar real high that 
obviously we've seen a lot of success in other characters, but uh, man, I appreciate you taking some time just to talk. About I knew that you would be the one guy that would probably share the same passion about it as I did, just because of being, you've had conversations about the summer of 89 anyway, but uh, I appreciate it, man. This is uh this has been fun, man. Taking a little trip in the time machine and, going back to when when days were great man and the cross creek mall was the place to be baby it would, would be hard for people to heck it's not even known as the cross creek mall anymore <laughs> but we, anybody under the age of about i don't know 25 would not even understand that that was true but oh man that the cross the, what, what was once known as the cross creek mall in greenwood was a thriving uh hub and uh, yes, Batman '89 was a part of our was a part of our dream there uh, that 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 summer, no doubt. So yeah, hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me on. These parts were broken and wallets were empty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, take more of my money, uh, <laughs> Music Land, uh, Nee Sam Goody. Um, and it just it was crazy, man. It was just such a great place and. Really, the, the, the theater itself, uh, as it was, a little three-screen theater there behind the mall. Uh, so many great memories there, and that was one of them. Hey, Chris Trainer, man, uh, if you guys are listening, Chris is a great follow on Twitter. He does a lot of great articles still for the local paper, Index Journal. So uh, keep following him and check him out. But, Chris, man, I appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. We'll do it again, man. We'll have to, we might have to do a Batman Returns follow-up on this later on in the summer. No, let's do it at Christmas time because that's a Christmas that's right. movie, and we should do it. I forgot about that. Yeah, we can yeah, do, we can do that. No, what we'll do? Let's 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 do let's do let's include it. Let's do it at Christmas time, and we'll do we'll do Christmas movies that aren't really you know. We can talk Die Hard. We can talk Batman Returns. We can talk Lethal really? Weapon. <laughs> let's 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 do that vibe. All right, that sounds like a plan, man. Hey, listen, y'all yep. stay safe, man. Enjoy the rest of the movies this summer, and and we'll talk absolutely. To you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. All right. That's been Chris Trainer joining me on another LWE podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. Taking a trip down memory lane. 